Now tonight we are going to spend some time on testimonies, hearing from folk to share what God is doing in their lives. And we're going to sort of break it up into three different divisions. First, we're going to have a few people come up to share on some ministries that they are involved in that you might not be aware of, but we believe will be a blessing and a challenge to you. After that, we're going to have our students. We're going to ask the students who are studying abroad to come up and give testimonies as well. Now, again, when we say testimonies, we don't mean a life story or preaching. I'll take care of that. All right. But just to tell where you're studying, what are you studying and what you see God leading in your life. All right. Now, then we can open it to those of you who are here who have anything particularly you'd like to share about God's working in your life. So let's begin first by looking at some of the ministries that God is doing through some of our folk here. Now, I was going to start off tonight with Brother Ralph, because Ralph Hanna, because he wanted to give a testimony of God's working in his life while he was away. But things have changed a little bit, but we'll still bring him into the picture in a moment. But I want to ask Delano and Marcia to please come up at this time. And then afterwards, we're going to have Nicholas... Ward, and I'm not sure whether Sid is going to accompany him or not, but they're going to show us some of the ministry that's going on in the life right now, so you could be blessed as well. Let's give Delano a little encouragement, all right? Right there. Good night, church. Um, how we can start this off now? Um, in the middle part of the year when the government decided to start a health program for the youths and so forth and so on. I say I wanted to join that, but come to find out you have to go through so much procedures to get to do that. So me and my wife, we took it up upon ourselves. And we came and we sat down and talked to Pastor Lee in reference to helping kids. So... I went to the schools, spoke with the guidance counselor, then went to the principal that is at Seneville. And then we took on the task of finding out who had breakfast or who ain't had breakfast or who on the lunch program. So what I did, I take the lunch program and I turn that into a breakfast program, me and my wife, you know. So as it is now, and then I went and I spoke with Mr. Fowler at Stephen Dillett and find out on that area, how that situation is, and that's when he investigated and gone and he came out to me with a list. And so now he does it at Stephen Dillett and Senevit for two days out of the week. Because sometimes it'll be rough, trust me. And it's just me and my wife, it's just, we just find little things, breakfast, sausage, corners, so forth and so on, and help, little help from Pastor Lee, Pastor Tommy, so forth and so on. But apart from that, as far as crime and drugs is concerned, I am on a poster at, on the corner of Windsor Park on Wolf Road, and it says, drugs and crime is a waste of time. I did drugs, I did crime, and I also did time. So let's not waste no more time. It goes on to say more about hurting loved ones and so forth and so on. But that is where I'm at at this point in time. Um, Christmas Day, me and my family was had the opportunity to go in Fort Lauderdale. 
As far as drugs and crime is concerned, it was an individual sleeping on the street. My wife was going to the gas station by the hotel, and she said to me, I came at a gas station, and there was this young man right there, and I stopped and I spoke with him, get him to accept Christ. And he went to church that afternoon, and I received an email from the fellow who I called for him to go into a rehab, and the email came, and the fellow told me that, hey, he went to church, and after church, he accepted to go into rehab, and I got an email from him today. He was going to church tomorrow, and he will see him. But my mission from the year start this year, at least from the middle of the year, is to help kids, old people, and drug addicts. That's my mission. And I ain't gonna stop. Thank you, sir. Good job. Good evening, everyone. God is great. About 15 years ago, I noticed in my life that when people, wicked people or sinners were dying, I didn't feel very much. I didn't have the empathy that I should have had and that I had when I first became a Christian. Years ago, I began to examine why that was, and I knew that it was wrong that a Christian should have the empathy that Jesus has. As I examined, God led me to many places in the scriptures, and I want to share one of them. Joshua 24 beginning from verse 19. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. Then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that he had done good, done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said unto them, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We will, we are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will be served, and his voice will be obeyed. Obedience is sweet. In other words, Romans chapter 1 verse 5, beginning from verse 4, sorry, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom 
we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. God gave me grace about eight years ago to begin a ministry that is filled with blessings from him but also to begin a ministry that is filled with goodness for the people who we minister to. We, by the grace of God, minister to orphans and abused children. And if you are knowledgeable in the Bahamas, there are some 500 plus reported case, cases of molestation and abuse to our children every single year. God has given me a belief that no child should live in this world without experiencing his grace and his love. Many of our children do not know that God loves them. I wonder if you can imagine what it would be like if you had parents who were alcoholics who did not have any time for you except to do damage or hurt in your life. I wonder if you can also imagine that you did not see anyone who cared enough to help you in those situations. Thousands of our children have been abused and are hurting and desire to know a better life. Thousands of Christians have been forgiven by God and given the mandate to make sure we represent him in their life. For the past seven or eight years, God has given us the opportunity to see some of those children. One child who was abused or molested by her uncles four times before the social services took her out of the home. Found it impossible to forgive her family. Took two, year, two years, almost two and a half years before she break down in tears and say, okay, I forgive. There's a boy who I, whose mother was an AIDS victim and the children would tease him about coming from a prostitute. He was so angry he could kill. Police arrested him several times. Today he is almost a police officer through the intervention of Jesus Christ. We sent him to Ambrose. I don't know if Ambrose is here. And uh, asked Ambrose to please help him because he wants to be a police officer. But the anger issues and the some of the children we work with do not exceed 0 0.2 on the GPA. They are so scarred that they cannot learn. Only Jesus Christ himself 
can cause them to be made new. Pray with us because we expect to go deeper into this territory this year. God has been good to me and I, I love these kids. I can't imagine me being an orphan and not having somebody to turn to. And so I, 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 I am so happy to be in the position to help them. I, I love God and, and I love these kids like my own. And I think they are great. They have great potential. But they just need somebody to show them the love and the grace of God now. Somebody asked me the other day about the murder count of 127. And I told them, pray and give God thanks because that's the mercy of God that we only have 127. I expected excess of 200 because I know the killers are out there already. These, peop- these kids have been brutalized from age two and three years old. And they will kill unless Jesus intervenes through us. Pray for us. I'm looking forward to 2012. I think it's... God has given me my worst year this year in the flesh and my best year in the spirit. And I'm looking forward to a huge year. 2012. Lots of kids getting saved. Um, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It's a beautiful ministry if you're looking for something to do in Jesus Christ's name. Thank you and God bless. Amen. It's quite a good ministry and uh, even with, I wish you would speak with Delano sometimes as well. Delano and his wife have a real heart for underprivileged kids. They've actually taken some kids into their homes who didn't have the kind of parental care as well. They have a heart for that and they're involved in the work. And you see the same thing with Nicholas. So we thank God for that. Amen. Now there's another ministry that you might not be aware of that's been going on with, with our men uh, for some years. And Brother Hannah and... Um, Errol uh, sort of head up this work where they help widows and whatnot. So, Brother Hannah was going to share some of this, but I'm going to ask Errol to come now and share a little bit about what the men have been doing through the years. So, Errol, would you come up, please? Thank you. Uh, good night, church. Um, yeah, so Pastor Lee just asked me a few minutes ago to share a little bit about... Um, Brother Hannah and, and his uh, impact he's had on our men's ministry. So he, um, so he's been serving with us. Brother Hannah has for, I mean, since I've been coming here, which is about 15, 16 years now, he's been a part of the men's fellowship, and he's been serving in the leadership role as the vice chairman. And um, you know, I was sitting there thinking about, you know, I mean, there's so much I could say about what he does, and um, you know, what really comes to mind to me is really his faithfulness. Um, brother Hannah has been a really true faithful brother um, for the ministry over the last I said, 15, 16 years that I've been here at least. And um, what Pastor Lee was talking about in this last year in terms of what he's been doing, and this has not just been happening in this last year, but from since we've been started, we would do, had this part of the ministry where we do certain projects 
for members in the church who, particularly the, the widows and those who may not be able to do it for themselves, uh, projects, we, we call them, where we go and, you know, we may need help with the house. Um, um, this past year, we've had several um, cases where we help with painting. Uh, some, of the, some of the women uh, who live by themselves who weren't able to get their houses painted for some time. You know, Brother Hannah spearheaded these projects. Um, that one, we had one, one of the widows, she had a problem with the roof, was leaking very badly. And Brother Hannah, what he does, I mean, he spearheads getting all the material. He goes to these jobs. He investigates what needs to be done. He, he arranges to get all the materials. Most times he's able to get contributions and, and donations to be able to cover all the work. And then he'll coordinate the men, get all the, you know, put, up, put the word out there. And, and on Saturdays, uh, as much as possible, you know, he, we're all, you know, he's always out there trying to get everybody. And sometimes it's difficult. It's really difficult. I mean, we have a lot of men in the church, but, you know, I mean, we, you know, we don't get the kind of support that we'd like to get. But, you know, this is God's work. So uh, as much as we can get, we, we, we go out there and we do what we can. And like I said, if he needs to go out there by himself sometimes, you know, he's willing to do it. And, um, and that's why I'm saying, you know, his faithfulness is really exemplary. So, I mean, and aside from the projects, another part of the ministry that he really helps out with a lot that we've been, um, been faithful with is the, uh, the Simpson Penn School. Uh, every Monday, every week, every Monday for the past seven, eight years now, we've been going up there and for about an hour and a half, two hours, sharing with the young men. Uh, we, you know, minister, we, we play games, we, you know, sometimes we have parties and whatnot. And Brother Han, again, you know, he's been an educator most of his life and, you know, he really took to that. So he, uh, really shares with the young men, you know, he talks to them hard. You know, shows them and, 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 and they really listen. I mean, sometimes, you know, I'd be there talking and, and you know, they, they're not listening to me, but as soon as he stands up, you know, everybody kind of settles down because he just has that air about him, you know, that he uh, commands their respect. And he took full advantage of that to share with them, you know, some of his knowledge. And they really appreciated it. And, and for that, I really appreciate him. And um, I continue to pray that, you know, like he said, um, that maybe, you know, he, he would pull out of the situation. But it's not our will as Pastor Lee prayed, but it's God's will. We pray that His will be done. And, um, and we look forward to 2012, and hopefully He will continue to be with us as we continue this ministry. Thank Amen. You. Thank you. Let me up here, man. I can't get up. That serves the week. Thank you, Errol. Thank you. Uh, again, you've got to know the details of all of this. I, if we had time or sometime, we'll have some of the ladies who were helped to tell you how much of a help these men were to repairing their homes and so on. Uh, and so we're really thankful for that ministry. Now, many people involved in that because in order to get the, some of the materials, we um, request help from individuals who work in places where the materials are, and they give us a big discount. Sometimes they just give it freely. So it's really something that the church is involved in which is meeting a practical need. So we thank God for that. Amen? Okay. All right. We're going to move into some of the students' testimonies right now. And I want to begin with a video of an interview we had with Esther Alcindor. Those of you who are new here probably don't know Esther, but you older folk or older young people would know her. She is a sister of Michelot. 
and she had two other sisters as well, Zebra and Charlene, Curlene. They were here uh, before moving to the States. Curlene got married, right? Curlene was married and has six children right now, I think. And eight? Wow. That's the two years I miss corresponding with her, probably. Uh, and they're doing quite well, so we're thankful for that. Here's a little interview with Esther. Good evening, folks. I'm here with Esther Alcindor. Some of you who are new here probably do not know her, but she actually is the sister of Michelot. And for those of you who have been here some time, she has two other sisters who used to be a part of Calvary, Zebra and Curlene. And uh, they're both living in the States now, and so does Esther. Keep forgetting Esther. I told her I was going to call her Essie. Anyway, Esther has been away from the Bahamas for over 23 years now. First she went to Word of Life, as many of our students do, and then she went over to Tennessee Temple. Tennessee Temple. And then transferred to Liberty. And then transferred to Liberty, where she's been. She's done a master's and now she's working on her doctorate. Now, Esther, tell us. Are you coming back to Nassau at all? I come twice a year, somewhere to visit my parents and to visit church family, and I also come on Christmas time. Oh, and that's all you're going to do? So you've abandoned us completely? No, I have not abandoned you completely. If the Lord should call me back to Nassau, I would willingly pack up my stuff and return back home. Okay, I hope that is true, because I'm talking to the Lord now about that. (laughs) Esther, good to have you back, though. Uh, you're working on your PhD now. What area are you, what is the subject you're working with? I am working on mathematics. I got my undergraduate degree in math, and I taught for seven years in the public schools in Lynchburg City Schools in math. And while teaching, I saw that a lot of the students suffer anxiety and math self-efficacy, so I wanted to do a little bit of research on that. So my PhD, my research thesis, is going to be on math, self-efficacy, and math anxiety in future. And you're teachers. teaching math now, right, at where? Um, actually, I'm teaching future teachers how to teach math at Liberty University. Okay, so not just uh, the student body in general, just those who are involved in teaching, future right. teachers. Future teachers. Excellent, mm-hmm. okay. Um, how, how are you, the rest of the girls doing, Zebra and Curleen, how are they doing? Um, they're both doing well. Um, Curleen is still living up in Wisconsin, uh, have amazing, beautiful children. Um, for those How many does she have now? She has eight. So she's four, starting her own church girls. and school. Possibly. <laughs> I don't think Curly would appreciate that. Um, and Zebra will be starting to work for Liberty University starting next week. Okay, so what do you think about your... Is he your little brother or big brother? Um, Michelot. He's my little brother. He's your little brother. What do you think about your little brother? He is now the... Um, um, what do I call him, Vince? The senior youth pastor. I am actually very proud of my brother. I don't think he would appreciate me calling him little, because if I stand up next to him, I'm the one that's pairing little. You dwarfed it for sure. <laughs> but I'm extremely proud of him, and I'm just thankful just to see what God is doing in his life as well. Amen. But you know, I'm really excited to see how all of the uh, Lily children, if you want, mm-hmm. have done so well. You know, and... Um, all of you are involved, still involved in some fashion as far as the Lord's work is concerned, and you're doing well. And that, that's really exciting to see. Now, we have a lot of young people, of course, who are over in, over in uh, 
liberty right now. Do you see them at all? Um, I don't see, actually, to be, to be honest, I see more of the young people that are not part of Calvary. That come from and visit Nassau, me, you mean? From Nassau that come and visit me at my office. Anyway, we've got to fix that somehow. Yes, we do. But um, the Calvary kids, I have to make it, make, my, make it a point for me to go out and find them, for them to see me. And some of them just walk by and don't speak. And I'm assuming that they don't know me, but that's okay. You know, I was thinking when we were talking here that we have quite a number of our folk who are involved in the educational field. What do you think about Calvary starting a school? I think it would be rather interesting. Um, and, you coming, always, and you coming back to help with it. You're not going to get me in any trouble here. Um, I've always thought that just looking at the facilities of the church, that was, that was something that they probably can look into, even if they don't do a, a full school, a K-12 setting, but even an elementary school. But I just feel that we have so much to offer at Calvary. So, right. Well, you know, that has been in the... Um, vision category for some time. In fact, Pastor Fowler actually led a feasibility study some years ago about doing that. At that time, we decided that it wasn't the right time and for it to be going, but I certainly will be looking at that in the very near future because I think it can meet a real need in our community here. Not only as far as the children are concerned, but also because of the fact we have so many of our own people who are involved in the educational field. You know, and see all of them uh, working together to do something here at Calvary, I think it would be fantastic. Fantastic. Do you have a prayer request you'd like for us to remember? Yes. I would love for you to pray that I would be diligent and in completing my dissertation. Um, my goal is to have my proposal in, in the next three weeks to my advisor so that he can um, give me the okay so I can collect my data and be done with my dissertation by December 2012. And I have my PhD in higher education. Terrific. Well, we say that we'd be praying for you, Esther. Mm-hmm. And it's good to see you. I'm glad you stopped in finally. Because you know I have you tagged as uh, the prodigal girl. Right? But possibly. But I, I'm not a prodigal girl. I didn't go away to because I didn't want to do what was right. No, that's my I went but away. when you come here, I don't see you. See the point? That's true. Mm-hmm. All right? But it's good to see you, Esther, and we're so proud of you. I want you to know we're praying for you all the time. Okay? Thank you, sir. The Lord bless you. Thanks, Pastor. Take care. Mm-hmm. My name is Chara Miller, and I am presently about to complete my last semester at Liberty University and begin my master's in worship studies um, in the spring of 2012. And I've been trying to figure out what to talk about or what to share. Um, and I just kept thinking about um, God's grace and his mercy and how much he's kept me during my time there. And I think Brother Ward said that um, for him this year was a killer for his flesh, but spiritually it was so enriching. And I feel like my entire time at Liberty has been a complete killer for my flesh and so good for me spiritually. Um, and I can share briefly why. Um, well, when I was 16, I, for the first time ever, I heard the Lord saying to me that I wanted, he wanted me to be in full-time ministry. And I was really excited. I had no idea what that meant. Um, and I didn't realize it wasn't going to be till eight years later that that would mean me going to Liberty. And Esther is actually the reason that I got there. She showed me the school and introduced me to the worship degree and, and, 
the Lord worked out everything from there. And um, I don't know why. I just thought it was going to be really easy. I thought that I was going to be going to a Christian school and just be surrounded by Christian people. And, like, it was just going to be amazing. And it has been it has been great. But um, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned spiritually is to keep God first, but to make him the center of my joy. And I find that that's so hard for people a lot of times when you're surrounded by other Christians. It's very easy to be fake or to not be real and to not have a real relationship with the Lord. And so I really struggle with being a real person and at the same time um, shining my light around so many other lights. And um, it was really hard with schoolwork, just staying focused. And, um, you know, um, as I finish now, like I think about the semester that just went by, I took probably nine classes and I didn't think I was going to finish. I really wanted to quit and just forget school. And I know the Lord was saying to me, you know, remember what I called you to do and, um, to not lose focus. And sometimes it's really easy to lose focus. I know for me, I'm very consumed with people. I love people. I love relationships. I love helping people. I love being there for people. And people fail you. Christians, non-Christians, people fail you. And they don't always mean to. It's just that they're not God. They can't give you what God can give you. And when you put your hope and your faith in people, they will fail you. And um, that's one of the things that I learned at school, that my heart has to be fixed on God. And he's put me through or allowed me to go through a lot of things that I never thought that I would just financially and with grades. And um, anyone that knows me knows that I'm very meticulous when it comes to I have to get good grades and I have to do well and I have to be a really good friend. And I have to manage my money and make sure I pay my bills. And when there were times when I couldn't pay my bills, I would freak out because I was like, God, what am I going to do? I don't want to call my parents. I don't want to ask anybody for help. I just want to handle it. And two semesters ago, I just remember not really having anything. But every time I had a bill, somehow I had exactly the amount I needed. Like on that day, God would send people or just give me things. And it was a reminder to me that my faith needed to be stretched, but that I wasn't really depending on him in the first place. And um, it's just so amazing because if I wasn't in school, I don't feel like I would have those experiences. Um, relationships where, and friendships where, you know, you invest time and you invest energy and you invest yourself, but um, you realize that you're putting all of these things before God. And if you keep God first, and if you make him the center of your joy and your heart's desire, he He just makes sure that everything else is lined up. Your relationships, your schoolwork, your finances. And that doesn't mean you're going to be rich um, or never be lacking. But I think with the lack, he shows that he is the source. He can provide everything that you need. He can be everything to you when there's no one there. Even when there are lots of Christians around you, he can be that. And I, I'm so thankful for that opportunity um, to be put through so many different 
trials that have not killed me. They've only made me stronger. And um, as I go into the master's program, which I'm terrified of because that's another two years of me studying and um, worrying about grades and um, just just becoming better prepared for ministry and serving people, which is what I ultimately want to do. I just pray that um, I would continue to open myself to whatever it is that the Lord is showing me and trying to teach me. And um, that I would not be afraid to pray those prayers about patience and, and to be stretched. Because whenever you do that, he will stretch you. He will put you in situations where you have to trust him. And I'm so thankful for that because a lot of times when you have nothing, but you have God, you have everything. And so um, the song that we're supposed to sing after this is He's Made Me Glad. And it's one of my favorite songs because it's all about him and him being your joy and his faithfulness and the fact that he's our shield, he's our rock, he's our deliverer, he's our, he's our hope, he's our strength. And um, I just pray for each person here tonight that you would make him your joy, make him your strength, make him your hope, because he'll not, he will not fail you. Thank you.
the Lord for being your refuge, for being your strength. But that's what He is, our very present help in the time of trouble. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's that faithful God, that faithful friend. So I will not... I will not be female worship leaders on staff, right? Right. Now we're going to hear from a young man who might be one of our future pastors on staff as well. Chris Godright, come on up. Let's give him a hand. It sounds like Pastor Lee has a plan for every one of us, eh? <laughs> I love you, Pastor Lee. Well, good night, Calvary Bible Church. It's so good to see everybody again, and I think it's been about a year and a half or so since I've been able to come up and just let everybody know what's been going on in my life and how the Lord's been working, but that was about seven and a half years ago. The Lord brought me out from Nassau to North Carolina, where he had me study a degree in missionary aviation at Piedmont Baptist College in North Carolina. About six years later, I graduated, May of 2010. And I believe it was during that time that I came here and addressed everyone and let everybody know what was going on in my life. But during that summer, the Lord led me up to Liberty University to train to be a flight instructor to further my aviation education as well. And during that time, the Lord really stretched me. He really grew me in many ways, but especially teaching me the lesson that we walk by faith and not by sight. He provided for the finances for the training, but... I had no idea what was coming next. I had no idea what he had in store for me afterwards. 
I was really hoping to get on staff at Liberty and to flight instruct there at uh, Liberty University because uh, it's just a great environment to build more aviation experience as well as uh, an opportunity to possibly further my education as uh, being a full-time employee of Liberty University allows for free master's, free doctorate and whatnot at Liberty. And so I was really trusting the Lord to show me what he had next. I packed everything I had, moved up to Liberty. And when I got to Liberty, they said, we'd love to train you. We'd love to teach you how to be an instructor. But right now, we can't promise you anything for the fall. We can't guarantee anything because we just don't have the student capacity. Our flight instructors that we have now, we're trying to give them enough students so that they can build time and they can make it financially. But right now, we don't even have enough students to keep all of our instructors busy. So, you know, keep working with us. We'll teach you how to, how to instruct. But, you know, beyond, beyond the summer, we can't, we can't promise you a job. So throughout the rest of the summer, I would keep checking with the director of flight operations. And he kept telling me the same thing. Chris, we love you. We think you're a great guy, but I just don't want to get your hopes up. I don't think there's going to be an, an opportunity for you to instruct with us in the fall. So I continued to commit it to the Lord, and I continued to just strive to be faithful where he had me, training to be an instructor. And it was difficult. There are many times when I thought I wasn't going to make it. I thought, you know, let me put this aviation thing behind me, put it in the past and just move on to something else. What else? I don't know. But uh, I had uh, many, many challenging times during that summer. But, you know, in August, right before I came to, to visit Calvary, I think the last time I came, the Lord really came through and, and helped me to finish up my flight instructor rating. But not only that, as soon as I got back from my trip here to Nassau, and I got back to Lynchburg, I stopped by the director of flight operations office, and he told me, you know what, Chris? School's starting next week, and you wouldn't believe it. We have 30 more students signed up than what we had planned. So if you don't have any plans to go elsewhere, we need you. So it was really neat to see how the Lord worked that out. I was there on staff with uh, six students. Right now I still hold a part-time position, but working pretty much full-time hours. Just uh, They keep me busy 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. pretty much every day, or 7 a.m. to 4, depending on the day. And it's just really neat to see how the Lord has continued to grow the program and how he's been blessing Liberty University with incredible flight instructors, but not only flight instructors. Some of the management guys that we have are some of the best employers that I've ever worked for. I mean, I don't, I don't work under bosses. I work under leaders, men who have a goal, who have a vision, men who really care about the employees and who care about the students who want to see the best for each one of ours. So I've been, I've been blessed in many ways to be able to be a part of Liberty University's School of Aeronautics. And one of the things that's just been so neat to see over the past year and a half, the Lord has really shown me a lot of ways in which my gifts and abilities, the ways that he has gifted me to be able to teach, to be able to share the Bible, as well as aviation. He's allowed me to combine all of those things into one role as a flight instructor. And I've just been so encouraged to see how the Lord has been using me and using other people in my life as well to be able to mold those as he uses people in my life to mold me. One of my latest projects, I mean students, would be uh, the young man on the base that was playing over here, Preston Ferguson. He is my latest student to solo, which means I stepped out of the airplane and let him go up all by himself. Scared me half to death, but he did a good job. Uh, PJ is a good student. You know what I could say about PJ? I'm going to brag on him for a second. PJ is, I have two classes of students. Class of, one, the first class of students is the, one who, the ones who don't show up prepared, the ones who their goal in college is to have a good time. And it shows when they come unprepared, but PJ is not one of those students. PJ is one who always comes prepared, and he always knows the answers to the questions that I ask him. 
He's not a perfect student, but he's really showed himself diligent. And if he applies himself in his other classes the way he's doing in aviation, I have no doubt he's going to do a good job at Liberty University. But a couple other ways that the Lord has really just been working in my life over the past year and a half is he continues to show me that as a young man of 25 years old, there's a lot that I have to learn, a whole lot of things in life that I have to learn. And the Lord has really blessed me. Not only being a part of the School of Aeronautics at Liberty, but also being a part of uh, a wonderful local church. Reminds me a lot of Calvary, right up there in Lynchburg. And up there in Lynchburg, he's put a lot of men into my life to invest in me. A lot of men in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, who have taken time out of their busy week to sit down with me for two hours, three hours, four hours sometimes a week, and just pour into me some of the experience that the Lord has given them over the years. And you know, I've found that to be such a blessing because right now I see in my life there's a lot of areas where I really need wisdom. And if I don't ask for it, how am I going to receive it? But I want to use that as a challenge to many of you out there, especially some of the men. Look for opportunities where you can find other young men, whether they be in their teens, whether they be in their 20s, whether they seem to have their heads screwed on properly or not. But use, look, out, look for opportunities to invest in these young men. Because you all have a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience that the Lord has taught you over your lives. So use that to impart unto these other men. Because the more I, I do my job and the more I see the opportunities to impart into these young men that the Lord has given me to teach how to fly, but also to teach them what the Lord has taught me about his word, the more I see the importance of what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. He says, the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou unto faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And that's what the Christian life is all about. Making disciples, not only leading people to Christ, that's important, but after we lead people to Christ, helping to show them how to live the Christian life, helping to show them how to apply the word of God to their lives. I've just been so blessed to have people in my own life up at Lynchburg doing that. So I thank you all very much for your prayers. I ask that you continue to pray for myself as well as the other college students as we continue to do what the Lord has called us to do. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You notice none of them listened to what I instructions I gave, right? None of them. I guess nothing has changed. Um, but we're really thankful for all of us. This, I must say here, this is the worst planned meeting I have ever done for the entire year, time-wise. Because now I'm supposed to give a message. It would be 40 minutes long and it's supposed to be finished before 12 o'clock. So let's see if we could work that miracle, all right?
Tonight, I wanted to talk about the theme, Personalizing God's Plan for You in 2012. And the verse we wanted to look at is a very familiar verse, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. Isn't that a wonderful promise? And if you don't get too far in the message tonight, remember, that is the message right there. That's a promise that God has made to all of us as his children. And by the way, Alan, when we come to time for the countdown, just start. Just start it, okay? In 1989, 96 fans were crushed to death in a soccer stadium in Sheffield, England. And another 200 were injured. At one of the hospitals where victims were taken, an attendant surgeon spoke to the parents who had come to find the fate of their children. The surgeon read the names of those who were killed and expressed his sympathy. He said that he believed that God understood the parents' grief and was with them in the time of need. One grieving father burst out and said, Who, or rather, what does God know about losing a son? What does God know about losing a son? Well, let me answer that question by reading a passage from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Listen to this. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. What does God know about losing a son? God planned the death of his son. God planned the death of his only son. He planned it. Now, I want you to focus on those words. So if there's anyone who knows about the death of his son, it is God the Father. Now, before I read another passage of scripture, I want to show you a clip that came to mind as I was thinking about God as a master planner. It's from the original Crocodile Dundee pictures. All right, just take a look at this. You got a light, buddy? Yeah, sure, kid. There you go. And your wallet. Nick, give him your wallet. What for? He's got a knife. That's not a knife. That's a knife. Just kids having fun. You all right? I'm always all right when I'm with you, Dundee. God, that sounds corny. Now look at this passage of scripture. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. 
know, the Bible talks about Satan having strategies against us, right? And the word they mean, something that is planned intelligently, is a plan he has against the believers. But I want to say to you tonight, when Satan comes to you talking about he has strategies, what you need to do is to pull out your Bible. This is my Bible for the night. Pull out your Bible and you say, Satan, that's your plan? No, no, no. Take out your Bible and say, this is a plan. This is a plan. Not yours. No matter how great and mighty he thinks his plans are, the word of God is greater than that. The Bible is a sword of the spirit, right? So when Satan comes at you in 2012, and I'm going to try to summarize my message right now. When he comes to you thinking that he can defeat you with all of his plans, just pull out your Bible and says, you think you have a plan? That's no plan. This is a plan. All right. God is the master planner. He knows where he's going and how he is going to get there. And once he is in charge of the planning, my friends, we have nothing to worry about. As the girl said in the movie, we are all right. We are all right. The same way she was okay when she was with Dundee, we are all right when we are in the plan of God. Amen? God plans both the purpose and the process, the why and the how. He says in that scripture, for I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. But now, one of the questions we have to ask and answer is, can we claim this promise as it is? It is, a, is it a caught blank promise? Because many people are promising, is claiming this promise today about good plans for everyone. You listen to Joel, uh, what's his name? No matter who it is, he says God has good things planned for them. Is that true? Is that right? Can everybody claim this plan? I don't think that is true at all. This promise is given within the boundaries of a context which must be fulfilled before the promise can be realized. And we need to understand this. Here's the historical context. In Jeremiah 29, verse 1, the prophet Jeremiah sent a letter to the exile next Nebuchadnezzar and carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. It was addressed to the elders who were left among the exiles, to the priests, to the prophets, and all the other people who were exiled in Babylon, and so on. The point is here. The immediate context of this promise is to a people who are in captivity. They are in trouble. They are in big problems here. And this promise was given to them in that context. That's the immediate context. The universal or supracultural context is the church living in a world hostile to Christ. In other words, in a sense, we are in captivity right now as the people of God. We are living in a world dominated by godless people, dominated by the God of this world. The letter said, The Lord God of Israel, who rules over all and says to those he sent into the exile to Babylon from Jerusalem. Notice, the point is here. The captivity in which they've found themselves was a part of his overall plan. All the problems, all the difficulties that they were facing was a part of God's plan for them. His sovereign plan for them. And so what he's saying to them is, don't be sad in the midst of your problems, but be glad. In other words, the truth here is that we must acknowledge God's control over 
and his presence in all circumstances of life, the good and the bad. It's all a part of God's overall plan. In the words of James, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let, notice this now, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, don't abort the process through which God is carrying you to make you perfect, to make you mature, to make you complete. Don't abort that. Go all the way. That's a part of his plan. In other words, there's a process in order for the product to be produced. You cannot have the end result without the process is the idea. This is what Jeremiah says in verse 5. Build houses. He's talking to people in captivity now. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and let your daughters get married so that they too can have sons and daughters. Grow in number. Don't dwindle away. Work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. Notice that where I sent you. He's saying you could transform that society. Work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. Now notice this. Pray to the Lord for it. For as it prospers, you also will prosper. This is an amazing passage of scripture. So what he's saying to the people who are experiencing these problems, don't let these problems stop you from moving ahead in your life. Live normal lives, even in times of abnormality. I like to say, keep your life flowing around potential dams. By that I mean, many times problems comes into our lives and we stop. And all we do is focus on that problem. We don't do anything else. So in the flow of life, this problem, whatever it may be, becomes a dam. And we stop flowing. What I'm saying to you, what God is saying, hey, you don't do that. In times of trouble, you keep flowing. Flow around it. Don't let it stop you. It is still there. But don't let it deter you from going towards your goal. Turn your negative circumstances into something that is positive, is what he's saying. Impact the culture, the godless society in which you live with a Christian way of living. Let your light shine if you want. And he talks about the leaders here. Work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoy peace and prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it. We have that same command. You know, right now... We are complaining about the crime and all of the things going on in the Bahamas. But you know what God tells us about that in 1 Timothy 2? First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? In order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. My friends, what this passage is telling us is the same thing God is saying to the people. We as Christians, if we pray to God for the leaders and ask God to intervene, we can change our culture. We can change our society. So the first place we should place blame for what's going on is our prayerlessness and our lack of living for God in a godless world. You see, this is what he's talking about here. Jeremiah gives some additional advice and instructions Happy New Year. All right. All right. Give me two more minutes and then we'll let you go. 
Jeremiah gives additional advice and instructions for living a godly life in an ungodly culture. This is what he says in the same chapter. I don't know if this is going to work. For the Lord God of Israel who rules over all says, Don't let the prophets or those among you who claim to be able to predict the future by divination deceive you. And don't pay any attention to the dreams that you are in encouraging them to dream. They are prophesying lies to you and claiming my authority to do so, but I did not send them. I, the Lord, affirm it. What is he saying? He says in this society in which we live, in order for us to turn it around, we've got to reject false teachers. Don't listen to them. Don't support them at all. That's what he's saying. And if there's one message we need to heed is that today. But I think... I think I better stop here because I know you're not listening anymore. Here, here, is the, here is the message I want you to go home with. Here. God is the master planner. His plan is greater than Satan. So when Satan comes, you say, I have a plan for your life. You just pull out your Bible and say, you call that a plan? This is a plan. Amen? All right. The Lord bless you. Happy New Year.